This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, where we talk to our friends about the movies we love. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. In what way is it amazing? Like, unpack amazing for me. And by star reporter and author of the best-selling biography, Robin, Dave Itzkoff. Marvel will not give you $10 million and say, okay, go off to Malta and let's let's see what you come back with. <laughs> we talk Robin's first attempt at movie stardom, Robert Altman's absolutely insane 1980 film, Popeye. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. The link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Popeye. Now, Dave, you were just telling us in the pre-show that you just watched a movie that broke your brain, and we're happy to confirm that we also had our brains broken by that same movie, Gaspar Noe's Climax. Yes. 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 We're all, we're all fellow uh, inmates at the same asylum, so that's, that's a yeah. huge relief to hear. Who was responsible for showing you this film? Well, you know, I was in a hotel room in London, and I turned on uh, one of their like independent film channels. I think it was like Channel 4 film uh it oh, was wow. like you know I was, I was still you know uh getting adjusted to the you know the time change and just up at an ungodly hour and so it was probably like two or three o'clock in the morning london time <laughs> i don't know what time it Jeez was Louise. in my brain but you were uh, very fragile yeah <laughs> and, and you know this, this is like british tv so they, there's no you know they don't censor it they don't, they don't censor uh, anything they cut it or and it, there might have been commercial breaks in it. Weirdly. Yeah, that I was going to say, that's what you get is you don't get censoring, <laughs> but you'll get like an ad for like, you know, some kind of potato related yeah, product. Right. Sainsbury sandwiches or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But oh man, God. what I mean, I, I would never profess to be like, you know, uh, uh, totally, you know, immersed in in, in uh, his film catalog. But this is one that had completely escaped my attention, I guess, when it came out. And uh, I thought it was incredible, uh, but also just uh, really devastating and just uh, horribly dark and like haunted me, (laughs) continues to haunt me for days after. What did you think of like the formal, like sort of like, because there's a lot of stuff that's playing with like the formal invention in the movie, like where they put the credits and everything like yes. that. What did that, what did that do for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's like one of the few happy memories that I have <laughs> yeah. from it. Of, like, you know, that sensation of like you're 20 minutes into the film and then the credits actually start rolling. And you're like, oh, did I miss the right. whole movie? Is it, is it right, right, right. And, like, right. right? And the big title cards start coming up with all the um, sayings and stuff. Yeah. yeah, the songs. I mean, I, th- I think actually what kept me sort of invested in in the in the film um, is that it had um, I forget the artist's name. The guy who did Born to Be Alive, Patrick Rodriguez. Yeah. That's his name. Yeah, I saw his name and I was like, oh, they're gonna play Born to Be Alive at some point in this film. Hell yeah! I gotta just stick around until, until at least until I hear that. And by <laughs> the time they do play it, like fifteen other kinds of like malfeasance and like horror and and you know inhuman behavior has yes. taken place 
Oh my wow. god! Well, yeah. we watched it because Leah Seydu oh. is in the movie. Yeah, and no, no. she is. Uh, uh, Soela Yacoub. Soela Yacoub. Yes. Soela Yacoub yes. is in the movie, and she is very prominently featured in the Dune Two trailer, mm. which dropped last week. Um, right, right. That makes sc- sense. Screaming, screaming in drug-induced yeah. madness, perhaps again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If that's like her little piece of, of Hollywood uh, territory or that's that's what that's she should defend card. that patch yeah. with her yes. life. Yes. Like if you need someone who is hopped up on a weird drug, <laughs> doing some kind of dancing thing. Yes. Um, feeling very there. intense feelings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely can convey that both in Climax uh, and I'm sure in Dune. Yeah. It, it, it That movie was really wild. Like watching it. I was so stunned the first time you're watching it. And it just feels so painful and, and kind of horrifying. And then I had to watch it again about four hours oh, later to get wow. the samples so that we could uh. Uh, do the episode. <laughs> and I was relieved that I wasn't as hurt the second yeah. time. I was oh, really? yeah. pre- okay. prepared for what was coming. Yeah. So I feel it was like, like a- you get you should get like hazard pay. That's you have like PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, Dune Pod is not covered by OSHA guidelines. Uh. So he doesn't. <laughs> There's no, there's no safety requirements yeah, there's here. No, no, nobody you can file a grievance to, I guess. No. No, no. And Popeye might have been on the list for some people. Yes, yeah. it might have been on the list. <laughs> Where are we filing our grievances? Oh, my God. If, if Popeye traumatized you in the same way, I don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. It, did, it didn't traumatize me in the same way, but it does bring up questions of, like, is this formal invention oh, yeah. that you're doing here, yeah. like, for some reason? Mm-hmm. Or was there just drugs involved? Like, yeah. Like, you know, was there yeah. like, you know, was it, was there a theory or was it for funsies? Yes. Um, well, there were drugs yeah. involved to answer your there first question. There definitely were. So. Yeah, there yeah. Definitely were. <laughs> needless, definitely. To oh, <laughs> needless to say. And we will get all yeah. into that. So we are no so, hurry. we are so happy to have back joining us star reporter and author yeah. of the Robin Williams biography, Robin, yes. Dave Itzkoff. Yay. Nice. <laughs> Thank you for having me back to, uh, to do this. Last scene on our, uh, our 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 network episode, which is yeah. a fan favorite. That uh, is an unbelievable episode. It came out yeah. so well. Holy it's, shit! It's, it's the best movie we've covered that is not oh, science great. fiction for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> that is true. So we are tonight. I just figured. I forget what happened. We, I saw you posting on Twitter to somebody about Popeye, and I just thought, yes, we got to get you on here. Um, so tonight we are covering. <laughs> yes. 1980s Robert Altman's insane musical Popeye. Yes, he's a sailor man. He is the sailor man. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, very quickly, next week, I I have some trepidation about this next film because I did not enjoy it that much when I watched it uh, when it came out in 1994. But we will be joined by Jason's college debate colleague, Stephen Yuhan. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> to, to tackle a Coen Brothers classic featuring Silo's Tim Robbins, Hudsucker yes. Proxy. Nice. Yes, Hudsucker Proxy. If you shit on Hudsucker Proxy, this podcast is ending. I just want to be clear. <laughs> you better you better reapproach this movie with fresh pair of eyes, my friend. Like this was this was at one time Hudsucker Proxy was at one time my most favorite movie. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I will. I am ready. I am ready to to get back on there. So that will be next week, and we're going to get all sorts of Jason College debate stories. Yeah. Steve is the second 
college debate friend that will have been on the pod. Ed Perillon was on our episode about the Jake Gyllenhaal train movie, whose name I can't remember. Source Code. Source Code, way back in the day. And then Did Jeremiah- you watch that one, Dave? Uh... I've I've seen it. Uh, I, it's probably been a minute, uh, but I, not, I, like, I definitely saw it in its day. Yeah, okay, it's not like super memorable. But <laughs> the episode was great. <laughs> okay, it was great good. to have Ed on. And then uh, college, Jason's college debate friend month con- concludes when we have Jeremiah on to do uh, Boys in the Hood. So it's nice. a real you'll get a real good window into college debate. Doing <laughs> pop listeners. Now, are you gonna, do you follow do you follow college debating? rules when you uh when we have <laughs> only in the sense that we talk very loud well. and engage in wanton <laughs> acts of sophistry <laughs> and alienate all bystanders <laughs> yeah exactly oh man we do it for ourselves yeah yeah that's awesome oh my god all right so that is coming up next week hudsucker proxy um Somebody can tell me where it might be available. That would be amazing. Buy it. Spend your money to buy it. I <laughs> <laughs> do it immediately. All right. How about if we just do some quick Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. Very quick. There's no Dune news this week. Like after last week was huge. This week is quiet. Yeah. It's waves, waves and waves and eddies, strikes and gutters. Yeah. Step, okay. step carefully because sometimes when you think it's quiet, you know, that yeah. might, be, might be a sandworm right underneath you. That's right. The <laughs> sandworm is gonna launch his own like, you know, blue sky account. And <laughs> start, start sending weird tweets. That, that's what's gonna finally get everybody to, you know, like blue sky is at to that join. tipping point. Yes. Yeah. The worm yes. shy halud at shy halud dot b sky dot social. Right. Thumper, gonna bring all the boys fan to the yard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like when Charlie that. Sheen joined Twitter. This will be that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I got an invite, but I have not decided whether I'm going to join. I like how you withhold your your love. Well, you from... didn't get you didn't get me an invite, and fortunately, my wife A under got yeah. me one. But I just like it's Jack. So like, why are we going? It's not there? really. It's not really though. Like that's it's it, it's it's. I don't know if we have enough space to unpack like the the whole <laughs> politics around blue. Sky. But he won't control it. If if he won't no, control it, then I'll get on there. It's yeah. I, he he will not control it. That is okay. for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Control it now. We control our own light of consciousness going forward. And and is like and is like kind of and if you dig into it is like kind of clearly at odds with the actual people controlling it. So it's it's some it's going to be some interesting shit. It's going to mm. be great. Okay. All right. I'll get on there. Second piece of Dune news. Very quickly. This is Dune Pod news. Now countdown to one fifty. One fifty. Fifty. This is our 147th episode. So wow. close. So yeah, very, very close. So as we announce, I just this is just a quick heads up reminder to everybody. The final episode of Dune Pod is now in just four weeks, and then Dune Pod will be finished and it will be replaced with Escape Hatch. Escape Hatch. <laughs> That's our new branding, Dave. Okay, That's our cool. new brand, Dave. We're rebranding. We want everyone. We're moving even... away from the worm. I Just see. as the most successful Dune movie of all time is about to hit theaters. <laughs> I, was, we... I, was gonna, I was gonna say, right when right when interest in Dune has clearly that's peaked right. and, and is on the wane. We're, uh, we're nothing, gonna zig while everyone else acts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Don't worry. We're, gonna, we're walking without rhythm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It is going to happen. All right. Briefly, let's just say hi to some new Discord friends. Peter Mee, Ken Pickrell, Andy Stone, Titanic Fan 1912, Viva Civivian, Austin W. Is that W? Does uh, that go for Butler, ultimately? Brody Shields, <laughs> Danny Leach, Team Dreamboat, Dan Liu, Cruz Capalot, and Dave Itzkoff. 
I miss that Peter Me joined. I, I, I don't know if you know that's Peter Mirholtz, who's a fairly well known uh, Web One old. Um, oh, so that's pretty exciting. Okay. Um, and then Austin, Austin W, I believe is uh, Austin Walker, who is a podcast host and a producer on like the More Civilized Age pod, which we've hyped before. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Star Wars pod. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he's a great one. Uh, big, big gets in the Dune Pod Discord, if if that's not just wanted in person. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. It is wonderful to have you here. Well, what do you think, guys? Should we just get straight into it? Let's do I'm it. I'm happy to, yeah. All right, here we go. Popeye is the journey to find our place and our family in a crazy world. Popeye is a sailor who has traveled the seven seas for 30 years, searching seemingly in vain for the father who abandoned him as a baby. Drawn to the sleepy seaside town of Sweet Haven, he finds himself an outsider looked down upon until he finds a berth at the local boarding house run by the Oil family. Quickly caught up in the drama of the Oil's beautiful daughter, Olive, and her questionable engagement to the town's brutal enforcer, Bluto, he is forced to pause his quest when he unwittingly becomes the adopted parent of the abandoned baby Sweepy. But when they're kidnapped by Bluto and the sinister Commodore, he will have a chance to rescue them all, redeem his family, and become the legend people around the world love, Popeye. (laughs) Dave, how did you originally experience Popeye? Well, Popeye came out, I guess, at a kind of perfect time in my life. I was four years old when it mm. was released into theaters. And, you know, I, I I had a really kind of interesting relationship, I think, to cinema when I was growing up. It was, I think, for like a lot of kids that lived in, in the cities and in New York City, it was uh, an escape. Uh, certainly it was for my mom. It was like a place where, you know, she and I could kind of like run off and she could just like park me in a seat and it would keep me occupied for a couple of hours, no matter what. An escape hatch, if you will. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I love my mom. I love her dearly. Uh, but she had this habit of like, you know, even when she would commit to going to see a movie, I mean, again, this is like no internet, no movie phone. All you have right. are kind of like newspaper listings or people just like literally showing up spontaneously to a theater and being like, what's playing? Let's just go right in and see whatever is showing. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we would just roll up to a theater and often like the movie would have already started. They'd already be 20 or 30 minutes into the movie. And to my mom's credit, she could always seem to like persuade them. If we came late to a showing of a film, we'd watch it, you know, through to the end. And then she'd say, Hey, could we, could we just stay and stick around the beginning of the movie that we, that we missed. And, you know, once you're already like watching the first 20 or 30 minutes of a movie, even if you've already seen it, you're going to probably watch it all the way through again. So a lot of of movies from my childhood, I saw at least like one and a half times. The first time (laughs) I saw it and Popeye was one of those films. We came in like totally, I I don't even remember what scene we came in on, but we had missed the whole prologue of like, you know, starting with the animation and him arriving in Sweet Haven and the lone man, you know, uh, rowing that little boat and like, you know, all this like strange 
imagery, but also like kind of crucial details of, of setup. So we were, I, you know, the, the, the first like back half of the movie that I'm watching for the first time, I'm completely without any context and just like lost in all this strange kind of Altman-esque uh, scenery yeah. and character and the, the overlapping dialogue, the, like the actual Popeye of it all you know, is, is totally lost on me. And that, but that second full viewing of the film, getting to see it from the beginning and understanding what, uh, got Popeye to this place, at least for a four-year-old was, then it made crucial. sense. Yes. That, that explained everything. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just seeing, seeing that much sort of Popeye movie content in one afternoon, three hours worth of a two hour movie Holy cow. Yeah, it really made an impression on me. I, I, I don't really remember at that age having seen Robin Williams in anything before. I hadn't probably had not seen mm. Mork and Mindy yet. I'm sure I heard him talked about, but that was like my introduction to him as a performer. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a strange uh, way to be introduced to him, but also like very meaningful and, and like endlessly memorable. I still think about it to this day. That is, mm. that's, that's amazing. a beautiful story. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's, I mean, it's a very crucial detail, I think, of, of how you perceived yes. it and at four yeah. years old uh, as well. That's, that's, that's quite amazing. Yeah. Formative. I was going to say, I mean, it's, you know, a movie that a lot of people have, I think, strange relationships with. And, and, yeah. and, and I think most uh, people probably are like, you know, if you saw it in its day, I'd understand if you were kind of dismissive of it or just if it didn't. Mm -hmm mean anything to you but i think if, if you if you had to watch it you know watch it like one and a half times consecutively it would probably stand out in your psyche a little bit more <laughs> so so jason how about you i was taken to this movie or shown it as a child um because it was like oh you're a kid you'll like popeye <laughs> and i i guess I, like i was slightly older and i have like sort of this like i remember i was just thinking about like while watching it um for the pod that my number one like sort of frustration that hung over from that early childhood viewing was when is he going to get the goddamn spinach? Like the whole point of Popeye is that he gets into a pickle and then he eats the spinach and the spinach solves the problem for him through violence. And like, I was like, how long do I got to wait for this spinach situation <laughs> to come about? And it's like, you got to wait a really long time. You got to wait, <laughs> the wait whole for the time. last 10 minutes of the movie until he gets the spinach. And I was like, there's not even any acknowledgement that the spinach is the key thing he needs. All these problems would go away if he just had the spinach. Um, mm. So that's my that's my dominant memory. And it was like a movie we had on VHS. And I definitely saw it um, like pop up a bunch. But um, yeah, I just remember I just remember being kind of tortured by that dramatic tension as a small mm. thought. So it, in my household in the 70s, we both had HBO when it uh, first came out. We had beta initially and then mm -hmm. VHS later. Um, and I remember, Dave, I think you talk about it in the opening of the book, but I remember the HBO special when Robin first broke. Firstly, before we go on, is anyone here tonight on drugs? Yeah. Okay. A quick test right now. If you are, it's okay. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Come on now, follow me through the wall. Anyone really stoned right now is going, wow, reality, what a concept. Um, and he's like wading out into the audience and yeah. like yes. just really taking the piss out of people. And he was so 
funny and explosive. And then yeah. I watched Mark, Mark and Mindy, like I had watched Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and then watched yeah. Mark and Mindy all the time. Until next week. Nanu. Nanu. So I was very familiar with this. And I also watched like Popeye cartoons and stuff. So I was all in when I saw the movie. And then it, this was a classic of the family. Not quite. This is slightly below Young Frankenstein. Oh, cool. But there's still many, many lines in this film, uh, you know, that I said as recently as last week talking to my brother on the phone. Wow. Um, so th this this one is a real, a real treasure for me. Well, and then you that had a personal cool. family connection to the movie as well. Oh, that's true. That that was the other connection. The Beast Raban, aka Paul Smith, mm -hmm. was my dad's college roommate in yes. Miami. Wow. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What, really what, crazy. What does your dad? What did your dad remember of him? Or how did <laughs> yeah. he? Yeah. The the only story he had about him was that he liked to eat hot dogs a lot. And <laughs> one, wow. One. <laughs> One time they took shoe powder and filled mm. it in the hot dog right. um, and served it to him and he ate it with no problem. So all these, <laughs> like, see, like, and that's, so it's really interesting because in both Dune, Lynch's Dune and in Popeye, like him, him eating. eating grotesquely is like sort of a defining trait. And that yeah. basically what you're saying wasn't acting. That's just yes. like, how. that's. Type typecast, that, Paul Smith. It seems to be an authentic uh, trait of his. A real a some skill. casting director saw this man yeah. eat a hot dog in like 1978 and was like, "We got our <laughs> guy. I know what we're gonna do with it." Maybe he puts it on a resume. Like some people put down, like you know, yeah, uh, can ride horses. Uh, yeah, you know, juggle can, fencing. Right. Yeah. yeah, he says, uh, "We'll we'll, we'll uh -huh. eat anything." That's Conversational <laughs> English. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so that was the other form of connection. And that was just weird for my dad to be like, I went to college. That's great. With that, guy. Very um, strange. that was, that was quite yeah. strange. All right. So, so let's just talk about this, um, a little bit. So the origins of this originally Robert Evans, uh, learned that Paramount had lost the bidding war for Annie. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, great musical. Carol, Bur Carol Burnett, um, and, uh, Albert Finney. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, and so they, some racist to caricatures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. But so there was a meeting with Paramount's uh you know the Gulf Western uh executives and Barry Diller, Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg and they wanted to figure out what other rights were available and somebody said Popeye. Right. Um which they had had since the Fleischer cartoons in the 30s. Mhm. Mm this is wild to me. Fleischer had the Superman cartoons, uh, which has always been like so stunningly gorgeous, and then and then Popeye. Those guys yeah. were yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of the genesis of I think uh, like one of the big problems that people have with the movie, or one of the big misunderstandings about the movie. I think because there is the tradition of like cartoon Popeye, like the you know visual movie right. cartoon Popeye, and particularly the Paramount cartoons mm -hmm. of the post Fleischer era, which are pretty. Routine mm -hmm. and, and formulaic, but that's where everybody gets the idea of you know Popeye eating the spinach, punching somebody in the face, and the adventure is over. And then, but then there is the Popeye that predates all of that from his comic strips, not the cartoons, but the mm -hmm. the print comic strips that were written and illustrated by EC Cigar, and that's what. Uh, the screenwriter of the film, Jules Pfeiffer, he was way more interested in that incarnation uh, of Popeye. That's the Popeye go. that he... Right. And interested not only in Popeye, but all the other sort of secondary characters and weirdos that populated his universe. And that's the kind of film right. he thought he was but, writing. <laughs> I love and, that. And, and there was no... You know, and, and, and I think he delivered 
uh, you know, a fully realized version of that Popeye, but that was probably not the Popeye that most people expected when they walked through this, the door. This is sort of like a Super Mario Brothers situation where it's like, yeah. you know, I'm going to write a, <laughs> like I'm writing like a movie about like Super Mario Brothers, but yeah. it's not the Super Mario Brothers from the incredibly popular and successful Nintendo video game franchise. <laughs> it is instead right. the Super Mario Brothers from the little known Japanese trading card <laughs> that like, only, like has never been translated into English yeah. and only has been seen in like a museum in Kyoto. <laughs> Well, you know, in a weird way, this is still like the early days of Hollywood, like taking IP cinema. Kind of, yeah. Yes. Yes. Taking, yeah. Like if, if they weren't directly adapting a book that told them exactly what the story was and how to go, then right. Hollywood didn't care if they right. told the version of the story that, that audiences were already accustomed to. Mm, and right. that's, I mean, it, it worked great for something like Superman, you know, yeah. where they really kind of transcended, I think. You know the the comic book and made a really right. cinematic tale. You also get craziness like him spinning the Earth backwards so that time will yeah. reverse itself, which no no like you know uh, card carrying comic book fan would ever accept. But fine, I mean that works yeah. in, in, in the movies and with Popeye. You know I think they they kind of even you know they there, there was. The idea of canon really had not been kind of established. Which Popeye canon do we uh, right. do we care about? It, it makes sense that that uh, you know the the canon of the you know the the mythic journey that Popeye's been on is maybe not as as structurally critical. But uh, Jules <laughs> Pfeiffer, the screenwriter, when yes. when he learned that Altman was taking over, and he's a fan of Altman, um, he said, "As a friend, as a fan, I knew what was coming." Altman didn't believe in scripts except as a necessary evil to get films financed. He didn't much believe in words. He didn't care if you heard the dialogue or not, <laughs> and he didn't believe in story. But I could imagine no one be to better to give credibility to Cigar's outlandish creations on screen. That's wild. Yeah. It is wild, man. I, I still hung up on the Super Mario Brothers idea, though, because like now I'm just like, like there really should be like a gritty reboot of like the Toad origin story or something like that. Like, like turn, turn Toad, like have Toad like dancing down the Joker steps. Like the hero, the hero we need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is essential. Minus Toad. I mean, the gritty version of that is essentially what the sort of Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's what happened. It, it, this it, was it, always it, really yeah. frustrating as a kid is like when some IP that you were familiar with got adapted and brought out in some other way that looked nothing like it. Like, yeah. so, uh -huh. like that Bob Hoskins, Super Mario Brothers. There was the whole weird Ghostbusters situation where there was a cartoon that didn't right. involve any of like the Ghostbusters from the movie. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like this, this you get screwed by IP franchises as a kid yeah. and you like don't exactly understand what's going on. That Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph yes. Lundgren. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Was, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that has been hotly requested for the pod, believe me. Hotly, uh, hotly requested. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, do I have thoughts on that. If, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. If you'd like. Oh, I'm going to keep that. Oh, we, keep we that love your mind. thoughts. Yeah. Of <laughs> uh, so. First of all, we have to take a second to just imagine this film as it was originally intended. Jason, Dustin Hoffman as Popeye. Oh, man. Lily Tomlin uh, as Olive Oil and directed by John Schlesinger, who directed Midnight Cowboy and Marathon Man. So an obvious I mean, fit. 
like, so like, this is a, just another thing I don't understand <laughs> about like movie making in this period is like, there's like, you know, clearly these like auteur movie makers, like people with like a particular style and a particular taste. And they somehow just like, what if we applied it to Popeye? And like thought like, <laughs> and thought that was going to be like a seamless experience. And, you know, in particular, like, I mean, obviously Robin Williams is, is iconic in this role, but like Dustin Hoffman is maybe a better fit for what they were going for, yeah. given that there's a lot of like, you know, ADR mumbling. Like, right. Like, <laughs> That, but it hard. also tells you that, like, I mean, the fact that Schlesinger didn't make the movie ultimately, like, it wasn't yeah, right. the right fit for him. I, but yes, it it is sort of revealing. Uh, I think less about the filmmakers than the the studio executives of the time, and certainly a guy like Robert Evans, who was very much about you know packaging, where like yeah. you know, yes. take this this talent and and this proven director, and, yeah. you, and look, that's what frankly worked for them with something yeah. like the Godfather. I mean, who yeah. was Francis Ford Coppola at the yeah. time that they gave it to him, but right. he turned that into a mammoth blockbuster. And so <laughs> uh, that was, that was to Coppola's credit, but it certainly made the uh, executives and the Bob Evanses of the world think, well, you know, we're the ones that are the geniuses. And if yes. we put any talent together with any property, they will make the magic. Well, and that's mm. like, and that is basically the Marvel model now yes. is that like yes. we do get, we get a creator who we want to work with, a Taika Waititi or what have you. And yes. we say, we say, Hey, do you have an idea? And they pitch us an idea and we set a release date for that before we have a <laughs> script. Right. And we just say, like, okay, great. It's going to be you and these yeah. you know people we have under contract, but there's a much tighter control of the visual style and like the yeah. actual filmmaking. And yeah, like, you really don't get. Like there's no experimental filmmaking happening no. in those pictures, right? Marvel uh, and they give you ten million dollars and say, okay, go off to Malta and let's yeah, exactly let's build, a, come back build with. an island, <laughs> yeah. see what you come back with, do some shit and with some folk songs and some yeah. mumbling. <laughs> let's see what happens. Right. I mean, yeah, like Sharon maybe they should try that. Write you a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That is hilarious. Uh, one last piece of behind the scenes piece that I want to talk about. Dave, you you just mentioned going to the theater to see what was playing. The top 10 films playing in December of 1980, Nine to Five, Stir Crazy, Any Which Way You Can, Coal Miner's Daughter, Popeye, The Jazz Singer, Jason, yeah, Flash Gordon, oh. Raging Bull, Dave, your next assignment, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> Altered States. Yes. <laughs> Patty Chayefsky's uh, classic. And the competition. That's mm. the Richard Dreyfus piano movie. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for well, the thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Well, I was in Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of missteps that my mom could have made and like ah. things that wildly inappropriate things she could have taken me to instead. I guess Popeye was probably the safest. Of all those yes. for, for a four-year-old. Yes. <laughs> I saw every one of those movies except for Raging Bull like within a year. Um, wow. I saw all those uh, on video. All right. Well, why don't we get into this film starting with the cartoon Popeye who pops up. This is like a beautiful uh, kind of entry and then sort of passing the torch played by Jack Mercer, who is Popeye's most well-known and prolific voice actor um, in his final acting role. Really nice. Really nice. Okay, very good. Uh, so then we go to just a storm. 
and somebody rowing. So like, is is this like the, uh, you know, water is a metaphor for birth and returning from the storm? Oh my like, God, Age. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, this is right out of the Odyssey, really. Oh, there you go. Okay, thank you. No, thank I mean, you. truly, this this is... this. This is uh, why. Why am I blanking on the name of uh, Ulysses' uh, dog son? No, his uh, son. That that Telemachus. The, 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 yes, yeah, Telemachus. Yeah. That he Telemachus. It, yes. That he, you know, that right. That it starts with him and the search mm. for the father and right. and, and a drifted sea. I mean, this is this is as like mythopoetic as uh, you know. Yes. I mean, it may be Popeye underneath all of this, but like they're really, they are striving for something uh, truly epic here. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's amazing. And and also they put him in the raincoat because the prosthetic arms weren't in place yet. <laughs> they hadn't figured out how to do that. So that's why they had him, it, you know, in the big uh, full suit there. Also a reference to the Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. The robust arms of Ulysses. Yes. Burly armed, burly armed Ulysses. The sun, the dawn like rose. Yeah. Um, so at this point he's getting close and the bells are ringing and we have, you know, him coming through this bay with the sunken ships and we get the docks and we see the buildings. And this is our first view as the music is swelling up here of Sweet, Sweet Haven. Now, I think this is my favorite song in the musical, I will say. Really? I think this is my number one pick. It's either this or the Sweet Pea song. But yeah. like yeah. this one is, yeah. this one is like, uh... <laughs> the least offensive of a number <laughs> of truly terrible songs um, that oh. are delivered questionably. <laughs> but this oh. one, I'm like, so sweet Haven. All right. It seems good. Also, my first note in for when I was taking notes on the movie was this fucking set. Because just like watching it with like 20, 23 eyes, you're like, oh, yeah. damn, they built the shit out of this. Like, yeah. they the really went all out. Yeah. 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 But they really constructed it, and it's still there, and to this day, and, uh, and it's like yeah. kind of half-ass theme park now. But like, you know, when it, it, they didn't do it in CGI, and they didn't like half-build a set, and then everything above it is green screen. I mean, they 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 literally built the town. Well, yeah. and Altman's son was like the prop master on this, and he spent one year living on Malta building that. They had 165 people who worked for over seven months constructing it. And he said that the um, the construction crew was so precise that they took away their levels um, because they wanted it to be kind of wonky and everything kind of falling apart and tipping and leaning and that kind of stuff. Um, it is stunning achievement yeah. in pro production design. It is. The production design is by far my favorite thing in the movie. It's consistently great. Not just the scale of it, but like all the interiors have like really interesting details. It feels very um, considered and real. Totally. Totally. We also get Mr. Noodle. Mr. Noodle. Come on, Tars. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think this was his first role as well. So great to see him uh, kicking out. Uh, but then we have the tax man. I'll be 25 cents docking tax. What for? Where's your secret? Today, no secret. It's me digging. It's under the war. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I love this, sure this recurring bit through here. I love him doing all the different taxes uh, that, that they're charging people. But Jason, did you recognize him? Yeah, he's from stuff. He's from <laughs> he's, been, he's from movies. I definitely recognized him. What's he from? Tell me something he's in. Among other things, Donald Moffat was in the thing. Yeah, he's the one. The he's the one who is after the blood test. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, and when you find the time, 
I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. <laughs> I love him. He looks great. Incredible. He's great. Mm-hmm. So now, Jason, your favorite song. I'm oh, sorry, your your next to favorite song uh, behind those two. Blow, Blow me, me down. down. Hey, what is this? Is it the orchestra kids? <laughs> this is a tough one for me, you guys. I gotta confess. Like, look, I love Robin Williams. Love Robin Williams. I also love his comedy specials. They were things I watched a ton of. I think he is like uh, a real gift. Ooh, look at there. Uh, there seems to care. You've got so much to bear, man. Can I blow me down? It's the wind and air. Just trying to double there. It's just amazing to me how like sort of constrained Robin Williams ends up feeling in this movie where I'm totally like, like yes. I'm not getting a lot of Robin Williams. I, just, it, I feel it's hard to not get a lot of Robin Williams. Like the default setting for Robin Williams is a lot. And like, yeah. I feel like this <laughs> blow me down song is like a good, is a good example where he's just kind of like, like it's, it is like this more, it's like the James Conn performance in Rollerball where like it's a lot of like really Soto Voce. Mumbly. And, yeah. and it's a musical number. Like a musical number being performed by James Conn in Rollerball is a very yeah. strange aesthetic <laughs> combo. Yeah. That's my it, note. Well, it's just it's just very muted as just as a song even. And, it, you know, yeah. it, it, even if it is meant to sort of establish the world and and this incarnation of Popeye, it's like you said. I mean, it's it's not a version of Robin Williams that we're used to seeing, and it's not a Popeye that we're used to seeing in terms yeah. of both of them kind of being, uh, you know, like uh, held in by a straitjacket of some kind. Yeah. You mm, want you want yeah. to see Robin Williams, you know, having fun and being a delight, and you want to see Popeye, you know, seeming strong and in control of his situation, and you're not getting either of those things. Not there, and, yeah. It's right. very like potentially very alienating. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so you you wrote about this um as well on in the chapter on this. He made a deal with Altman basically. Altman wanted him to follow the script um but allowed him to ad-lib the mutterings that he did under his yeah. breath. And Robin said anytime he didn't like it, he would just turn the volume down so you couldn't hear him. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> what a choice. Yeah. Well, you know, this was this was a um you know, uh, like a, a lot of, uh, you know, Robin obviously already had the success of Mork and Mindy and it was very, you know, for both himself and the people that were representing him at the time, there was a lot of thought put into like what is going to be his first sort of major movie role. They really thought that he, I mean, as time would tell, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he certainly had the ability and the capacity to be a leading man. And they were so concerned about what, what would he make his debut in? How do we sort of introduce him in the right way to film audiences? And they kind of landed on this a little bit having to do with, you know, Robin seeing his friend Christopher Reeve uh, break through as yeah. Superman and, 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 you know, comic book and cartoon roles becoming a kind of vehicle for, for actors in, in that way. And, uh, you know, I, I need to say this, this didn't really live up to that particular expectation expectation yeah, sure. in, in Robin's uh, mind, but that, yes, I mean, here he is a kind of novice film actor going toe to toe with Robert Altman and saying, you know, yeah. this is what I want and this is how I expect things to be and who, you know, who's going to prevail in, in this situation. 
It's it's funny and appropriate that we keep coming back to Superman here. Um, it and there's just nothing in comparison between Popeye and Superman in terms of no. what is there from no. a character perspective and and story perspective. So it makes sense that that happened. In your book, you talk about when Christopher Reeve was paralyzed in that horse riding accident and the fact that Robin came in and was immediately making jokes and lifting people's spirits. And I was just bawling uh, when I was listening to that chapter. It was just incredibly touching. Yeah. Well, they, they were friends, you know, going all the way back to their student days at Juilliard uh, mm. when they were both training to be actors uh, and, you know, became really close friends. And, and, you know, I think Robin, to a certain extent, really depended uh, on, on Chris while they were there in the sense that, you know, Chris uh, left early because he was already getting acting roles and, uh, you know, was was appearing on a, a soap opera as a regular. So didn't kind of didn't need Juilliard mm. anymore at that point. And in the time after Chris left, Robin was a little bit adrift at Juilliard. And that kind of precipitated, I think, his own uh, you know, dropping out because he, the instruction itself was challenging and to not have the support of a really good friend like that to kind of, you know, balance it out. I think he just didn't really see the point anymore. And, and, you know, to have a friend who it basically broke through in the way that Robin always was hoping to, and to have somebody he could kind of, uh, whose footsteps he could follow in and a, kind of, you know, uh, showed him a path that he could go to have that same kind of success uh, was was tremendously important to him. So obviously when Chris had the accident, uh, you know, Robin, of course, felt like, I, you know, I have to support him uh, in every way I can, mo- both like, you know, morally, but also, you know, financially and, and helping like Robin literally like rebuilt his own home to like have an elevator put in so that if Chris ever came and visited him and could go up and down between floors using mm. that elevator. Mm. Mm. Amazing. It's amazing. Just yeah. picturing being at Juilliard and having to stare down as a professor rollerballs, John Hausman. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That would be enough to get me out of there. Yeah. Um, and of course, Robin then left Juilliard and moved to uh, Tiburon and was going to school at College Marin, which is like literally five minutes from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I mean, that that Marin experience also was, was, was hugely important to him. And like, you can still look up, you know, like reviews of college productions that that he was in and, and the local critics already identifying him as somebody with tremendous talent and the potential to, you know, go on as a professional. And I think when people, you know, of course, people think of him sometimes principally as a stand-up comedian or they regard him as a, a stand-up comedian who then decided he wanted to be an actor. And it's completely the reverse. He was someone who always uh, imagined himself an actor, trained to be an actor, and, and really fell backwards into the stand-up comedy. Hmm. Model slash actor. Yes. Um, so... In addition to his performance uh, and the talent that he has, somebody else who was having a hell of a year in 1980, Shelley Duvall as Olive. Mm -hmm. Jason. A hell of a 1980. What an experience she had. (laughs) What do you think is the worst experience for her? Like almost like feeling like she was going to have a nervous breakdown or having a nervous breakdown because Stanley Kubrick like was (laughs) verbally abusive to her like for a year, a year basically. or being shoved inside this tuba and like fondled <laughs> underwater by a fake octopus. Like, which do you think if she had to choose to do over, would she pick? <laughs> that is tough. Probably fewer takes on the octopus. I'm yeah. guessing. 
Those are so where you were kind of we haven't gotten very far in the movie, but like the amount of time that people are in water in this movie, like that, the just the logistical complexity of shooting this movie is uh, pretty amazing. Like there's a lot of like shots of a boat going at another boat taken from a third boat as like <laughs> weapons are fired and people are jumping off. And like we all know we've all listened to like the behind the scenes on Jaws of like how long how hard it was to like get a boat like you know in in a shot and that that just must have been a fucking nightmare yeah. they sank those boats they actually no, sank they, at, they, at the they very clearly very clearly <laughs> they sank those boats like, <laughs> it was quite obvious those boats were being sunk that's amazing um i do like uh the physical comedy though that we get throughout this movie um and i think shelly duvall does a great job uh you know in their kind of opening scene up in the bedroom uh, breaking the bed and stuff. I thought that was I thought that was really funny and and kind of endearing. But also, I just want to call out her costuming. Those shoes that look like the loop in the third shoes or whatever, like <laughs> with the big bump on the on the top, and then just the 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 top yeah. and the skirt and everything. The costuming strong. Scott Bushnell, um, who basically did all of Altman's movies, uh, right. doing the Lord's work here. Yeah, yeah, very strong costuming. Mm. Yeah. So let's get into the dinner scene. This scene to me is completely wild. There is so much going on the way yeah. everybody's constantly in motion and it's not a long yeah. shot. They're cutting back and forth. There's lots of um, uh, kind of quick cuts. Um, this does also give the introduction of the father. You owe me an apology. I didn't mean you. Yeah, that was like a classic. Uh, that was one of the family lines, but I just, I like how much story is going on and we get Olive explaining justifying why internally she's deciding to break up with Bluto. Yes. And this, is, and this is very, you know, I mean, this is about as Altman-esque as, as the movie gets. I mean, this really is his kind of, uh, you, you know, genius or, you know, his, his sensibility fully at work of just the multiple strands of conversation happening and all simultaneous and on top of each right. other. And right. And you know, you're not really kind of told what to focus on. And, it, you know, you can, it can be a little overwhelming if you have no kind of previous introduction to his style of, of, of movie making. It feels very uh, kind of deliberate on, on his part, or maybe, you know, maybe one of the last places I, I can only guess, but a place where he could at least, uh, he felt like he could assert himself. And then the rest of the movie was, was less and less his as it, as it went on. Yeah. He described it um, in the behind the scenes as um, the, the beginning of the movie being much more thoughtful and that just as it goes on, it gets more and more ridiculous and kind of simplistic and cartoony. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure why that happened. I guess they just sort of, they lost the thread somewhere. I think you have to, because I think they probably realized they had to and like <laughs> finish the movie yeah like that there had to be like some you know build up and resolution of dramatic tension yeah. in a cartoon movie musical yeah. as opposed to as opposed to just you know like altman's standard thing which is just like you know portraying real life as it happens right. um in right. this like captured way um that allows you to experience the internal lives of the character through like these like overlapping dialogues and like, you know, long shots and like, you know, really like staying in the same place of a person. Like all that filmmaking is great. I I'm, I like Altman. Um, I, I Altman's very hit or miss for me. But like The Player was at one point in time, like my, one of my top oh. five favorite movies. Mm -hmm. um, and and shortcuts. I, yes. I just too. don't know if it like applies. I just don't know if you can really apply that to 
it's an interesting experiment to say, like, what if we tried to do that in the context of a musical about a cartoon character? And I think the answer is the results are mixed. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I think it also is the way it is because they shot it to a certain extent, you know, in sequence. And then yeah. when they yeah. got to the finale or the like the last few acts, they had run out of money or they were dangerously, you know, uh, coming yeah. to the end of their budget and had to cut corners, had to find right. ways of get, you know, making do with what little they had. And, uh, you know, I mean, you referenced earlier, you know, the the sort of long drawn out scenes of, of Shelley Duvall, like, you know, kicking and screaming in the, the clutches of this sea monster and you know in the same way as with jaws they had a a, you know a mechanical sea monster that didn't work no time to you know repair it or replace it and you know just just had to kind of go with what they had yeah Yeah. i i like to think that it was just as the cocaine was running out you know they finally (laughs) once it was out evans is like we are done here yeah we got to get out of malta (laughs) we got to get back to la I, I will say, like, I don't think this movie reads as we spent a lot of time talking about cocaine cinema on this podcast. Sure. And I don't think this movie reads as like a cocaine movie. Like, I, I fully believe that, like, cocaine was a key, yeah. so, like a key co- creative collaborator in the production <laughs> of this movie. But like this movie has like has such like a like diffuse energy in so yes. many ways. Like, yes, so totally. like kind of so kind of understated and like, you know, constrained and like, you know, bottled up and like put make the characters end up feeling small because of like the the expansiveness of the sets and all of this. Like yeah. this is like much more like sort of a K-hole movie, I think, <laughs> like where it's just like people people have been like people have been sedated in some way um, and they're like trying to like figure out their relationship to reality. And if there is a shared objective reality, mm. um, well, I, I can tell you one, one place where it certainly played a role. I mean, this is a story that, that Robin himself had told me that they got to essentially the end of the movie and didn't have, uh, you know, an ending or a finale figured right. out. And he, at least as, as Robin tells it, had gone to Bob Evans, who he said was, and this is a direct quote, coked off his tits. And right. Robin <laughs> suggested to, to Evans, what if Popeye were to walk on water like Jesus? Yes. <laughs> it was a kind of a throwaway, joking thing. But Evans, in, in his you know particular state at the time, was very receptive and, and loved the idea. <laughs> and that is what happens. That at the very yeah. end, you know, Popeye does his little dance and, and yeah. is floating on the water until, you know, until he's not. And then, you know, falls right. in. Yeah comically but that's why it ends the way it does and so uh, you know it, it, it may it may not feel as intense as something like uncut gems but it, like <laughs> you know, it, it, there is there is that same kind of um i don't know just walking on the precipice that feeling of like this movie could completely fall apart at any moment that i think is yeah. oh yeah the, the the drug influence if you want to call it that yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking a tightrope all the time. Yeah. So everything is food is our next big song. Everything is food, food, food. This is this is the big dud, man. Like this is like <laughs> this song. This is such a weird ass fucking thing that happens yeah. in this movie. Like it, this is very disturbing. The it lyrics kind of, are weird. Are they like they're weird lyrics? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's sort of this like it makes you think about like oh everything is food like we're all just meat for the grinder is that what I'm meant to like kind of <laughs> take away from this like yeah. there's this weird kid book that we read called uh, 
Mickey the Milkman. That's like a Sendak book. It's yeah. like a non, it's like, you know, it's a non, Mickey in the Night Kitchen. Mickey in the Night Kitchen. And Mickey in the Night Kitchen, this kid has a dream, falls out of bed, and ends up in the kitchen where they make bread for the morning. And he gets baked into the bread. Milk he gets and the batter. In. Milk mm. and the batter. We yeah. make cake and nothing's the matter. Yeah. And the, and the, and it's sort of low-key terrifying to me because it looks like they're baking this child into a cake. <laughs> and that's yeah. like the vibe I caught from the... Everything is food song. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you, I, you if you, you may not have dug into the film to the same degree, but like, you know, it all the all the songs, of course, are, are you know composed by by Harry Nilsson, and they yeah. released uh, like an extended version of the soundtrack, or like a you know a, a, where where you hear all his demos for the songs, yeah. and yeah. some some of the song like some of them are you know are are, are kind of perfect, and like you know. He sings it on the demo. Robin Williams sings it in the movie. Perfect. Sometimes he has songs that work really well as, as demos and would have been great sort of Harry Nielsen songs that right. when they are, you know, maybe expanded to an ensemble of people singing in very kind of dreary monotones <laughs> don't, yeah. don't work as well. But he really, right. like he, he understands the form of the sort of the sea shanty and like that's, right. you know, he's trying to make these kind of rhythmic rocking right. back and forth types of songs and and like he does that That's well smart. whether whether each of them kind of uh, comes off in 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 context in the movie uh, I, you know, I guess it, it's really sort of a case by case basis. That's interesting. Okay, I like that. I like that. And I will say that our our questioner Kev who comes in for Kev's questions is 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 very excited about this level of of analysis regarding the okay. demos, <laughs> um, and resident musical theater expert. Happy to indulge. Yeah. They did also, they built the studio, they, they built a recording studio in Malta on set um, so that they could record there, they could watch the dailies and then they- Was Nilsson like on set? Yes, like, on set. That? Okay. No. And then yeah. the banjo guy and the and the piano guy, uh, like they had they had a whole crew uh, that was there and and just like in the party. Yeah, Van, I mean, Van Dyke Parks, uh, you know, was, was part of it. And um, I'm forgetting the guy's uh, name. Hoagie somebody. Yeah, the, the the guy who was uh, like a, the Scandinavian guy who was like uh, friendly with the Beatles and and designed mm-hmm. the, uh, 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 Klaus Vormann, I think is 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 the mm. I believe that's his name. But yeah, they really just we'll a really that, interesting. Really... Like you yeah, see, yeah. you see some of them during the uh, the boxing match because they have like the, right. the band is there and all the people in that band I believe are like the actual musicians on the uh, on the soundtrack. Got it. Got it. There's also the shot of the guy in the diner during everything is food where he's sitting there playing, uh, I think the banjo. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I, so I love all of the stuff happening inside the diner. I love the fact that the tables fold up and fold down. Like it's like, it's uh, on a ship. Um, and then we also have like the bird cage comes down, yeah. uh, as the fight is about to break out where we have Jason Dennis Franz as one of yeah. the boys. Yeah. Yes. Dennis Franz is one of the boys of wild mm-hmm. casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, uh, the line, you apologize. That that is another one of the Herrero uh, family <laughs> lines uh, for all time. Yeah, it's a very satisfying scene that fight. I think it's like you, yeah, the you, fight you've been waiting yeah. at this point maybe a third of the movie or longer for just to see Popeye punch somebody, and you know he's a good fighter. And it's also you know the drubbing he gives them is like fully justified. Like these these guys are they're they're just nuisances. They're they're rude to everybody and you know you can it's like you can start to see the tide shifting and popeye you know mm. sort of earning his way as the hero of this town and so that's i found that it's all very 
satisfying in that whole sequence. To me. How about the guy who is the punching bag? Uh, what yeah. a performance by that guy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. I was like, he's really got to figure out how to nod in, <laughs> in, 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 in sync. Yeah. Very good. Well, so we go from there now. Uh, it's now the big night of the engagement party. And this scene is maybe like 25 minutes of the film. This is a long from start to finish. Um, but we start with Shelley Duvall on an absolute next level as she is singing he La- He's Large. Yeah. Hey, What a song and what a performance. That song is amazing, in my opinion. In what way is it amazing? Like, (laughs) unpack amazing for me. The the progression that they have, there's a lot of nice- And he's large. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I like all the back and forth with the other girls, how that works into the story that they're telling. I love her leaning out to grab the things as she's secretly packing her bags as she's doing it. I just- I, I think she's incredible. I'm glad you guys love this. The physical comedy of it. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a really pleasant and funny song, but when it, I think in it sort of in tandem with all the physical acts that she's doing, and as you were saying, like trying to disguise the fact that she's also sneaking out of the house. Yeah, uh, like that. The the confluence of all that. It, it really, it, you know, is what really makes it work. The, it's just the actual song of it that doesn't work for me at all. Like the song is like a fucking dagger. Um, <laughs> no, I'm into it. I'm, de- I'm definitely. You just like it. you'd like put this on like uh, like in a you'd throw this in like a mix like a running tape or something like. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but like I know the whole song all the way through, start yeah. to finish, and like yeah. it lives rent free in my head. So not a lot of lyrics to to, to remember. Not a lot of yeah. lyrics to remember. Yeah. Exactly. It's fairly exactly. fairly simple. So she ends up running into uh, Popeye outside the party, and this is where someone uh, leaves uh, Sweet Pea um, with them. And I just love this Sweet Pea. Their performance in this entire movie, and also the fact that Robin is. Improving lines with the baby. Okay. Hey, 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 hey. We're together in this. Mm-hmm. All right. I must trust only baby. You're a baby. It says here, right there, right. Yeah. Yeah. I I was like, this is some really good acting with the baby. The baby yeah. for me is is the best actor in the whole. <laughs> like the baby, the baby really delivers. It's very charismatic, very attractive, very cute baby. Delivers a lot of like like really cool like facial expressions. Is clearly like reacting to Robin Williams, which is fun. Um, yeah. I love all of that stuff. Do you know who the baby is, Jason? Uh, <laughs> is the baby also a roommate of your dad? <laughs> The baby is Robert Altman's grandson. Oh, okay. Wow. Captain in the family. Put the kid in the picture. Mm. All right, Jason. (laughs) This one, I know you're going to like. Uh, Okay. I mean. So this is the Bluto song? The Bluto song. That's not sung by him? I mean, I don't know. Tough one. Tough one. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know what I mean. You know what I say. You know what I mean. Look, I guess my thing is like, I like musical theater. I like film movie musicals. I like, you know, we almost did Little Shop of Horrors. Um, Almost. Like, I like Annie. Um, Like, I'm a big fan of film movie musicals and musicals in general. The way in which they treat the song, like the songs in this as a musical are so 
stylistically strange in terms yeah. of like of what a movie musical number is meant to do. Um, like they 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 like are meant to be. They're like really more kind of like a flavor or like a color mm-hmm. on like a scene as opposed to being like a a, a vehicle for narrative, uh, like propulsiveness and like musicals are also meant to and like you know the thing that it should work on is that musicals are meant to rely on broad caricature so that you i kind of understand like how things work it's not meant to be naturalistic but and and there is broad character the characters are cartoonish by nature but like the songs themselves like end up being this like more folk song like kind of you know like tone color and like, I don't know, it's just like very difficult for me to to clock into. There's also something just like very strange about the way all the audio is mixed in this, where yeah. like the like the 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 dialogue and the vocal is mixed very low. And like all of the incidental sounds are mixed very high. Yeah. Um, and so it like ends up making you think like it's a background, like those musical numbers are backgrounds to what's actually happening, some of which is cool, like the production design and the other elements Dave talked about. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This one didn't do it for me. The Bluto song doesn't bring it home for me. Boy, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Part of what is so strange, I think, about the whole enterprise is that, you know, even in the case of, of Annie, Annie existed as a Broadway musical before they ever made right. it into a movie. Right. And so they right. had the opportunity to you know, already basically tested out in front of audiences, see what worked. And, and, you know, those songs were really tight by the time they were ready to adapt it into a film. And they knew that, you know, tomorrow was a showstopper. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. is something that was conceived entirely for, you know, for the, for the film and never had any kind of, uh, you know, stage uh, life beforehand. And so these things are all basically like, you know, you don't have that same kind of opportunity to try songs out in front of audiences or see, you know, where they would naturally fall into the kind of, you know, trajectory of of a story. And and so, yeah, I mean, you get uh, songs that maybe don't work as as well that, you know, are still pleasant to kind of hear on a, on a soundtrack or, yes. or just interesting artifacts. But uh, right, as you say, they don't do anything at times to like really either advance story or or tell us more uh, about the characters <laughs> singing them. Characters. Yeah. Well, and, and hasn't been explored on the stage yet. Jason, this could be our, <laughs> our contribution, you know, the next phase, Popeye the, the musical next phase. off Broadway. Yeah. We're ready. Okay. Yeah. It, it's only a uh, This is also time. where I want to, I want to bring in this comment from, so Siskel and Ebert reviewed this movie mm-hmm. before they had thumbs up um, and they loved it. It was two yeses from Siskel and Ebert. Um, and <laughs> They they really liked it. I think they really like Altman, and I think we're excited to see him tackle this. One thing that Siskel says that I don't really understand what he means is like, this is a family-friendly friendly movie, although I don't know if it's a kid's movie. And I really don't know what that means. Like, it's like a family-friendly movie, but yeah. don't take your kids. <laughs> and I think like, I think, be, and I bring it up now because I feel like in order to get the kids in, like for me as a kid, like if this movie had been like Annie, I think I would have loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Even if like, yeah. you know, the spinach was much delayed. Mm. <laughs> Maybe he just meant that it's like kind of inoffensive. It's safe to bring a kid to, but they may not enjoy they it. They may not enjoy it. it. <laughs> right. Especially yeah. if they have to watch it one and a half times. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> it worked for yeah. you. I was a very smart kid though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, preternaturally. Yes. Uh, so I love this bit of Bluto's, you know, getting so mad that he sees red and the set being painted red and all their costumes being yeah. red. But the, then he beats up Popeye and he taxes the oils into poverty. Uh, and I will say, Jason, that was, I didn't cry this time, but certainly as a kid seeing- <laughs> Did you the, cry? The dad, it just the reaction when she pulls the paper down and he's, you know, he's got the tears running down his face. Aww. That affected me for sure. I can't deal with that dad's beard. The Abraham, <laughs> the Abraham Lincoln beard is too is too weird. All right, fair enough. I don't think we have to do much with the ox blood, ox heart big fight that happens, except to say two things. Caster suddenly does an inner monologue, and no one has done an inner monologue in the film up to this point. That's just totally bananas. Right. But also... The shout out Mapes is here, Jason. The shout out Mapes. It's a double dune. Whoa. I know. It's wild. Double dune. Uh, it was great to see her. It also, this whole, the, the Oxblood fight gave me big, like, um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome vibes. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Where it's just oh, yeah. like, it's just so big. Like, it's just like so weird to see this, like, kind of, you know, spectacle movie making. Um, mm. Yeah. I find it very satisfying. Again, again, because it's like, you know, one of a few actual fight scenes in the movie. It's also, you know, you find right. you inevitably find yourself, uh, you know, it's just that like that rising, uh, you know, rooting for for Popeye that you feel. I also just love the the sort of the jump cut of him, you know, and this is and this is like perfectly allowed jumping like and then being yeah. in a costume. Yes, he he starts out yeah. in his kind of day clothes sailor uniform, jumps into the ring, and the moment he lands in the ring, he's already in a boxing uniform and that or, yeah. or I love it. And yeah, perfectly like that that like that should be allowed in a live action version of, of Popeye. It, almost a shame right. they didn't sort of indulge even more of that, but that that's brilliantly executed. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was very good. Um so then we have Jason, a very tender song, Sail with Me, Stay with Me. I've been sailing about the seven seas, looking for some buddies who would sail with me. Sail with me. With me. And I've been waiting for someone like you, a man who could love me and will promise to stay with me. Stay with me. Stay I love this song, and and I forget so, which one this one. The, it's playing now. Uh, people can hear okay. it, but but I just love this notion that she wants him to stay. He wants her to come on the ocean with him. Um, they both want to have sweet pea around. Um, but the description, I think, from from um, Pfeiffer was that he was trying to do a Hepburn and Spencer type romance story here. Um, and I don't think it quite lands at that. Well, I know it doesn't land at, at, that, <laughs> at that level. Uh, but I thought this song was very tender and, and yeah. I liked it a lot. And also, like, you know, both Williams and, and Duvall, I mean, their voices are just, like, in totally different ranges. And so it's, mm. like, composing a song that would allow for both of them to kind of coexist and have that push and pull. It's really, uh, you know, amazing that, that, they, that they pulled that off, even to the degree that they did. Yeah. yeah. It is wild. So it was revealed that Sweepy is psychic for whatever reason. So <laughs> Wimpy kidnaps him and takes him to the horse races. Um, and this is where Popeye goes to, to get him back. And Olive comes with. And Olive, she's like, oh, we can make money on this? This seems good. Family is more important than dumb morality, she says. 
Uh, but this is yeah, where she's get... all in all of a sudden. She's like, yeah, I'm like, let's go. Let's <laughs> milk this baby for some, <laughs> some horse pigs. But now we get Popeye's. Is this Popeye's I Want song? Uh, I am what I am. And like this song, this, so this song would really work for me, I think, if just mixed different. I think yeah. if like, I think like if they had just sort of like brought it up a bit more and like not had it be stepped on by like the audio in the scene. Yeah. Um, like I would, I, I think, it, I think there's a mix of this scene. He's also in the background, like in, like for half it's of the scene, a, he's like all the way back. It's a very strange choice. It's a very strange choice. <laughs> it's basically like, like Almond's deal is like, what if I shot a movie musical? What if I shot Les Mis? And like during one day more, I was just like behind all the crowd and like just sort of like peeking through a shop window as like, you know, like Thernardier and like everyone kind of like do- goes by and does like their bit and like the audio trails off as they like move past the window. And then like I whip hand to like someone else doing their like, you know, another different, you know, like. And like, I don't know. It's just like, look, you got to focus, my guy. You got to bring yeah. it up. This is a big scene. Yeah, I know it was. This was very like a real disappointment and frustration to uh, you know to, to Jules Pfeiffer that that you know he right. he didn't he didn't write uh, the song I am what I am but he you know he had sort of structured the the movie for you know for the song to land as like a big right. statement of purpose for Popeye and you know it's, it's supposed to really have a big impact and he hated the way that it was staged and hated that it all right. you know it's it's him doing it in like this you know seedy gambling parlor and 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 it, it, at least as he told it to me that this is what basically caused you know Fiverr to like walk off the movie and not and not come back that, wow that he was really yeah frustrated to, to see it executed that way so i i have to imagine that you know that also sort of accounts for like how the rest of the movie played out they don't they didn't have their writer anymore right right oh my god yeah Mm, tough one. Uh, he takes Sweet Pea away from the oils, basically, in order to keep uh, keep him from being exploited. And then he dumps the tax man into the bay in a scathing indictment, Jason, of the arbitrary nature of tax policy in the U.S., yeah. I assume. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I was thinking about that, too. Like, like I, and I think this is an artifact of the economic times in which, like, taxes, like, ooh, taxes, like, was, like, this, like, big, it was, like, this big thing. The year and, Reagan like, won. A yeah, month, exactly. A month after stag- Reagan won. Yeah, stag- it was a real, like, stagflation commentary. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's. I don't think that's like aged exactly. <laughs> uh, so he is going to go back uh, and figure out how to get him. But before he can, we have her performance, Shelley Duvall singing, He Needs Me. And all at once I knew, I knew it once, I knew he needed me. I fucking love this song and the arrangement of it is incredible with like the music box sounds it has this incredible dreamlike uh quality to it that works for me yeah yes dreamlike in the sense of being anesthetized (laughs) (laughs) it it exists it exists purely to be you know rediscovered by uh Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, 20 years later for, yes. for Punch Drunk Love. If that's all it did, then yes. it, it kind of served its purpose. Yeah, yes. as arranged by John Bryan, uh, who did the soundtrack for that. Uh, yeah. And it's just really, yeah. really fantastic. So I, I love that. 
Um, and then I also love they go straight into the sweet pea lullaby. Everybody's gotta have somebody's, even if it's only me. Which is also very good. It's like most of the best songs on this are these much more tender kind yes, of thoughtful because, songs. Because all of those songs work well with the mode of how he wants to shoot these musical numbers, which is right. subdued, right. quiet, constrained, like you know, an emotional color to it that's like reflective. Like I the Sweepy Lullaby is my favorite song in yeah. the in the musical. Um because it's it's very tender and beautiful. And like that is appropriate for a song you sing to a child. Um it's harder to do that same mode when you're doing like the I want song or like you're doing like, you know, the big like rally to victory song. Right. Um so anyway, but yes, I've made this point enough probably. <laughs> <laughs> we've heard you. Yeah, we've heard. I've I've got a point of view. <laughs> but but now the movie is going to run into a brick wall with the introduction of the Commodore. Um, the Commodore. Poop Deck yeah. Pappy, who like Roy Walston is great. He was in yeah. South South Pacific, The Apartment, my favorite Martian, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Private School. Um, mm. Like he, this guy has done a bunch of songs, um, and he does "It's Not Easy Being and Me." Responsibility. It's not easy being me. Shut your lip and open your mouth. Which I'm not convinced, Dave. I don't know. Uh, that that one did not work for me uh, quite as well. <laughs> well, you know, that I don't one's know. If shot this... really weird too. Yeah, it doesn't. This has, this has no bearing on the song. It doesn't make it like a better song or even a, a genuinely good song. But just you know, the pairing of Ray Walston, who had played my favorite Martian, and then Robin, who of course had played Mork from Ork, which was a character that was massively yeah. influenced by My Favorite Martian. And the fact that even oh, wow. the, the episode oh. of Happy Days that introduced Mork was called My Favorite Orkin. So they, they wow. you know, the Happy Days writers knew exactly what they wow. were sort of paying homage uh, to. Oh. And so it, it, if nothing else, you just to, to get that kind of, uh, you know, pop cultural kind of uh, alignment of the two of them, uh, you know, in a couple scenes together, uh, you know, that, that, that's like more than sufficient for me. Yeah. And I actually think he's great when, when he says, Your casket shatters on poop deck, Pappy, pride of the Pacific and father <laughs> to the shark, brother to the Piranica, cousin to the killer whale and uncle to the octopusy. <laughs> like great delivery, uh, really good. The plot development that he left Popeye because he wouldn't eat his spinach is yeah. maybe just a little questionable, but <laughs> it's not that he's doing something bad. It's that he then, they have the whole song, uh, you know, kids, they don't know what they're doing. They're blasted, they're yeah. going to lead you to ruin. It just goes on for quite a while uh, <laughs> with a lot of focus on Pappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but leaving Sweet Haven is beautiful, pulling out of that bay, Sweet. and then Scab Island looks really cool. This is giving me like uh, pre-Goonies vibes. Yes, well, the, the octopus, the octopus, of course, is famously cut from Goonies. The the mm. in, the the in act in act three of Goonies, there is an attack by a giant octopus or a giant squid. Oh, and it uh, didn't make the movie, but is referenced at the end um, when the reporters are interviewing the kids and they say, "What happened down there?" It's like, "Well, the octopus was scary." And the reporters are like, "Octopus?" And it doesn't make it's a total continuity error um, mm. because they oh, cut I the didn't scene. Even catch that fun yeah. fact huh. from another movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've I've seen Goonies. But like maybe once uh, and at least 40 years ago. So we, we should probably. What the hell? We should probably <laughs> get on it. Um, so now we have the underwater set. Um, my note, I just said the octopus is actually pretty cool. Like it looks cool underwater uh, yeah. when you see its, its head and stuff. 
Um, but the number of times Shelley Duvall goes, oh, 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 oh dear. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. It's a lot. Well, there, there's, there is, there's a certain amount of, I think, tedium that's kind of set in by, yes. by this point. It, you know, it, you really feel everything, like the wheels just falling off, you know, they, yeah, they, they yeah. are like crawling to the finish line. <laughs> and like the slow, and I mean, it's like driven by the fact that it is the slow speed chase towards oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the climax <laughs> yeah. of the movie. It's like two lumbering slow style. boats yeah. of just like heading yeah. out to sea and you're just like, right, <laughs> can we get to where we're going? How, were, how slow does this boat yeah. need to go? But they were so coked up, they thought it was a high yeah. speed chase. That was fast, it felt fast to them. In, in the end, Popeye eats spinach and basically kicks everyone's ass and everyone sings Popeye the Sailor Man. And we go to credits. Yeah. Amazing. An amazing picture. An important picture. Yeah. But notice through the entire credits, Bluto is still swimming out there. Like they did yes. not call rap on that on that poor bastard. He had to keep going. He was yellow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, did they really? I, I, I don't know this myself, but they, they just did like you know one long take where they uh-huh. like, you just keep going, just swim for like five minutes, ten minutes, just keep going. Yes. Paul Smith does not look like a strong swimmer to me, right? Like, no. <laughs> can't even ask, you can't ask somebody to do even more. No, than one he had like a ski do strapped to him or yeah. something like that. There's no way he's getting underwater. <laughs> yeah. Dave, who would Tilda Swinton play? In Popeye, <laughs> if you had to recast one role with Tilda Swinton, who would it be? Uh, only, only one, only one, that's, only that's, one. That's, Ideally, she can, only multiple, one. she can do multiple roles. We've we've accepted that as an answer too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. I mean, I don't want to say Oliver because that's way too obvious, and it seems yeah. sort of like under underutilizing her. Mm. Have her play Popeye. I mean, yeah. Wow. Let her, let her deliver his, like all of his mutterings and mumblings in this, like really kind of received stentorian, you know, accent. It really formalized. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Just give give her the title role. Let's do it. Yeah, I was gonna say the Commodore. I was gonna say the Commodore too. Yeah. Cause he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, Dave. Anything we missed? I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like all the little bits of trivia that I haven't gotten to uh, reference or or acknowledge. I got to tell my favorite uh, anecdotes, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I, I know we've we've kind of talked about it just as uh, you know a film unto itself, and you know it's a very interesting artifact to me in the career of Robin Williams that. Um, you know, really his his primacy or his success as a film actor did not come along for like another decade. Uh, right, that this right. was something that he really, you, you know, I, I read there's like a Rolling Stone uh, cover story that he did in like 1979 where he was, uh, among other things, prepping for Popeye. And you can see the way he talks about it, that he really at that time seemed to think that this was going to like just completely uh, put him in totally different territory. Right. He did probably leave. Uh, Mork and Mindy, he just worked exclusively in films. It would, you know, make him a star right out of the gate. And, and that's not what happened. And, and right. in fact, you know, it, there there was a long period where it was just kind of in question even. Like, is he a leading man? Is he more of like a supporting character actor guy? It wasn't really until Good Morning Vietnam, which is like still a good, you know, seven, eight years away from him at this right, point yeah. that 
he finally established himself. So it's sort of interesting that, like, it certainly has a special place in my heart and for a lot of other people, but it was not received at the time in any way like, uh, you know, a, a successful film, even if it, it made uh, some coin. And he like he ends up referencing in his stand up that it's like a failure. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of times at which he like there. I think there's the joke in which like he's a prote- talking to his like imaginary son because he didn't have kids yet where he's like, oh, like Popeye was a drive like Popeye's like for everyone or whatever. Like he does yes. like, like a whole bit yes. like there's a whole bit that he does. And, like he kind of continually like throughout the rest of his career, especially after he's become a huge star, like r- references the fact that this was a flop for him. That is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, you can see that the fact that it, it did kind of play on his psyche in in yeah. that way to still be like making those jokes and to still kind of think about it in that way although when i talked to him in like 2008 and mm-hmm. i remember us you know like talking about you know just his film career and obviously by that point he'd had many you know hits and many other flops as well and i i asked him about popeye and he said no you know popeye i stand by and like i was really like pleased to hear that because it was yeah. it's truly one of my favorite films of his and just a a favorite film uh, in general. I love it. I love it. Even with all of its flaws and and all the good reading that we've just given it um, in spite of that, uh, it still has some, some deep meaning for me. It is. It is kind of amazing though. Like just like he, his career is so interesting because like good morning Vietnam is 87 Uh and then dead poet society is 89 Uh uh, and then awakenings is 90 uh, and so it's just like Good Will uh, Hunting and then Hook, is 97, right? And Hook is 91. Aladdin is 92. Like he I mean, like and in the middle of there are also and then Doubtfire is 93. And in the middle of there are movies like Toys, which is like a real fucking like piece of business. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, there's a yeah. bunch of like duds in there, too, like movies that weren't successful. Um, but like he yeah. he gets launched on this like unbelievable ride that like is you know unparalleled essentially yeah i i think i think just the the shagginess of the film is what's so charming about it now that as we were talking about before that like you know hollywood really kind of you know obviously there are misfires still but like when it comes to adapting intellectual property you know that's what hollywood you know really has down pat and it doesn't allow for any error and it doesn't allow often for any personality and this movie is like all personality and it's a lot of just weirdness that you would never see if they if they made a Popeye you know adaptation from scratch now it would not look or sound anything like this a hundred it would never happen like it's funny because the closest example that I can think of of somebody coming in with a completely left field take is dread um Uh the second one that Garland wrote um, yeah. That was so right. self-contained and small and simple, but so intense and so true to the character. Um, that's like I, we yeah. need more experimentation like that. It's toys, toys is like Barry Levinson directing Robin Williams in a movie with LL Cool J and a soundtrack by Tori Amos. I mean, like there's like there's <laughs> like toys was a swing at something for sure. Well, it's a very uh, yeah. it's a very Marin story too because I run by Barry Levinson's old house all the time. Uh, uh, that I run out it. to Phoenix Lake, so like I'm sure uh, they were chilling out in Mill Valley. Um, toys is actually a commentary on oppressive zoning laws (laughs) 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 all right let's get down to the letter segment i have a feeling it's gonna be solid here's the first one bog pardon i'm on to you i'm on to you i know what you're doing 
real. Let's start at the beginning. Real <laughs> genius. More like fake <laughs> genius. This movie was invented. It's a smokescreen to fill the schedule on a slow day. Next, hackers. Invented by the CIA as a psyop to convince Gen Z that the 90s looked like a Joel Schumacher Batman movie. Real, <laughs> not fake. Get the facts, guys. Do your own research. It's true. And now, Popeye. You're expecting me to believe there's a Robert Altman movie starring Robin Williams as Popeye in live action where he has prosthetic forearms and does the whole Popeye routine. Not real. Here's yeah. the real story, the truth, the facts. This is a mid-journey AI prompt that gained sentience. One of Jason's bots <laughs> generated this prompt and turned it into a movie. And now you're covering it. Get the facts, guys. This movie isn't real. It joins the list. Hackers, real genius, Popeye. Yeah. Dune Pod's fake movie list. Get the facts. Get the truth, guys. Don't get the fall facts. for the trickery. <laughs> get, get the facts.au. <laughs> you have to go to you have to go to Australia to get the facts directly from Barnabas. I, I one of the fun things they have about doing this pod is that we have folks like Barnabas and like Kev who are like I think 12 and 13 years old, respectively. And like they and like so they have like not no experience of these of these movies. And then we watch like some of these like culture, like for you know, Popeye for you guys, not so much for me, but real genius for me these like cultural treasured objects of like, oh yes, this really defined a vibe. And they're just like, what yeah. the fuck were you guys up to back then? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, had to have been there. Hang hang with us. Uh, Ethan, thank you so much for that thank voicemail. You, that production, that, that production terrific. design. Production was, was really good. Huge. Really yeah. All right, our next voicemail. Oh, this the is good. Truth All right, Dave, get ready for this segment. All right, Beria here for the Popeye truth saying. This fever dream of a movie could not have been made without the cocaine-fueled producer Robert Evans. Here are three stories about Evans' implausible life. Two of these stories right. are false. One is true. Dave's Time for the truth know. saying. Number one, according to his book, Evans says he was contacted by Sharon Tate and asked to come over to her house one night. He had to decline, so Sharon invited Jay Sebring instead. Yes. Sebring and Tate were famously murdered that night. I think this is... I think that's Number two... Henry Kissinger plays tennis, played tennis frequently with Billie Jean King at Evans Estate, where Kissinger was a frequent VIP guest. Hmm. Or number three, in his autobiography, producer Richard Zanuck tells a story of how he offered Robert Evans the lead in his film The Sting opposite Robert Redford. Which one of those stories is true? I'm pretty sure it's one. I'm pretty sure Robert Evans avoided I'm gonna go getting with one. murdered by I've avoided by Manson. The Kissinger one is wild, yeah. though. True. I'm going for the tennis for sure. All right, All right let's... let's see what we got. Okay. Robert Evans, man, what a life! All right, which one of those three stories is the truth? Well, it wasn't number three. The joke lead role offer was for Lawrence of Arabia. It wasn't number two. Kissinger played with Gene yes! Connors, not yeah. Billie Jean King. Oh. It was number one, the Sharon Tate story. Well, yeah. the fact that Evans yes. claims that it's true is the true part. So much of the truth from that period <laughs> has been lost to an impenetrable cocaine haze. <laughs> Here ends the truth saying. Beautiful. Beria, oh thank you so much. His life was spared, but his nasal septum was not. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely sounds like a story that Evans would tell, whether whether or not it had the yes. ring of truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely. All right, here's our next one. Oh, wow. 
There's some high quality voicemails this week. Yes, we have Silly. Hi guys, it's Silly. Um, we watched Popeye and the Chuckle Hut this week. And uh, wow, I thought I would call in and just try to articulate uh, how this movie made me feel deep down. Whew, anyway, here goes. A correction from the editorial staff. Unfortunately, after a careful review with Tape Deck Legal, the contents of this portion of Mr. Oswald's voicemail were deemed unfit for inclusion in the podcast. We apologise for any damage to the sensibilities of listeners during the live recording. Please direct all inquiries to legal at tapedeckpods.com. Thank you, and back to the episode. Ooh, yeah, well, <laughs> anyways, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my thoughts. And uh, looking forward to the conversation. They can't all be hits. They can't. Not everyone can love everyone. <laughs> love what you love, kids. Love what you love. Love thank is you. love. Thank, thank you, silly. All right, here's Kev. Hey, Dune Pod. It's Kev here. My voice is shot because uh, we went to uh, a bar to watch the F1 race today. And it was great. Getting mm. out of the house, as it turns out, not bad. This week, you're doing Popeye. Popeye, probably the most divisive movie that's ever been covered on Dune Pod. And remember here, I, I was on for Southland Tales. And uh, <laughs> based on that, I don't think I'm ever going to be invited on Dune Pod ever again. But for now, as we continue on the road to 150 and the end of Dune Pod, I wanted to recall one of the first, I think, probably the second actual good Kev's question. In Popeye, the songs are written by Harry Nielsen, as I've said in the Chuckle Hut and to you privately, uh, this man is a criminal for this, and rarely does a man so talented uh, belong so deeply in a cell for <laughs> crimes against humanity, uh, as are these songs. Kev's question, is there a songwriter that was active during this time who could have uh, written compelling songs? I think even at this stage, Brian Wilson could have probably turned out a couple of decent tunes. Right? Mm. It's not... I mean, I don't think this is rocket science for a guy like him, but I, I would have said that about Harry Nielsen. Dave, if you're listening to this, your your writing is such a gift, and Robin is such an incredible book, and uh, I'm sorry that I, I, I don't even know where I stand on Popeye. Dune Pod, you're beautiful. I love you. Editing team, you're even better. Peace and love. Once again, it's Kev's Questions. All Kev right. Is- Kev is that there's you have many fans of your work, Dave, in the Dune Pod Discord, and That's Kev is certainly among among them. I know Kev said that, that Robin really helped him to get through the early days of the pandemic. Uh, so that mm-hmm. was oh, wow. a good thing. Uh, That's really meaningful to hear. Thank you. Oh yay! Uh, so what do you think? What is a who who else could have stepped up? To what the could have, what could have Elton John done with this in this period of time? Given mm. that he would, yeah, you know, like a decade later, gone on to do yeah. Lions King. Like, I think like something with that, like something that has like that kind of uh, uh, energy would have been interesting. Kev says he was thinking the same thing. So Kev and I are aligned. That's a choice. Oh, Silly says in chat, Billy Joel, which also would have been like, would have been like stylistically yeah. consistent with Altman. Altman oh, definitely could have yeah. made a Billy Joel music. Short men with uh, you no know, Napoleon complex <laughs> yes. could have related yes. to yes. I'm just going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the jazz singer. Okay. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Diamond. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That could have worked. Yeah. Sweet Caroline. Yeah, exactly. Sweet, sweet. (laughs) All right, here we go. Final voicemail. (laughs) 
Doompod. Hey, this is Corey calling from Austin, Texas, about the controversial and divisive film Popeye from 1980. Discord is popping the fuck off. This movie has created quite the rift in our community. What the hell's going on? Goldman is off the rails. He is actually hostile to this movie. I'm hoping this episode provides the heat that he has been bringing to the Discord because he fucking hates this movie and I'm shocked. I get it. I love this movie. Ace and I are just like, you know, twins for this one. This, obviously, we were at the right age when this came out. I was like nine or so. Mm. Saw it in the theater. I actually saw it in the theater with my babysitter, Mary, who was super awesome. She took me to see Popeye and as soon as Popeye finished, we left Aww. and snuck in to Stir Crazy. Yes. Oh. Also broke into this uh, adult guy. She was in high school. We broke into this uh, uh, duplex of this adult guy she was dating. Went through all his shit, listened to all his like voicemails and stuff. That's right weird. Through his drawers. He had a Condor Man poster that was hanging Whoa. on the wall. Cool. But that's a whole other story. Anyway, Corey's just Popeye, confessing to crime. Harry <laughs> Nielsen, Van Dyke Park, did a great job with the songs. Fuck all the haters. These songs will stick in your head. They're really good. They capture the spirit of the movie. Everything's great here. I don't know what the problem is. This movie actually made more than it's over budget, but still Altman gets exiled and mm. fucking employable because of this fucking Popeye movie. I don't know. I don't get it, guys. Um, I think Popeye's great. I think it's good for the kids. I think all your kids should watch it. Fuck all that fucking Ghibli stuff. Pokey, <laughs> Hell yes. Crappy shit. Make them watch Popeye for fucking two hours and see how they grow up. Maybe it's fucking cool as me. Or fucking H. Hey, stop crying. All right. I love you guys. Oh, my God. Okay. Looking forward to next week. Bye. Unhinged. Unhinged, Corey. Unhinged. Slander against Miyazaki. Just unhinged. Generally, generally uh, unappreciated uh, Miyazaki slander, but uh, definitely Popeye. And sorry, there's one last follow up. Uh, let me see what this is here. Dark oh, shit! I got totally rattled. Who would Tilda Swinton play? <laughs> I'm gonna go with a little character you may have noticed lurking around in a, a lot of scenes. Was Bear the Hermit? Yes. For the second view, just to see all those little oh, crazy, little wacky things he's doing in the background. I think it'd be perfect for Tilda. <laughs> all right, bye. What Does is the it, deal with that character, Dave? Did you recognize that character? Did you see that character? No, too? that you know what? It, this is that it, it didn't even uh, come to my attention. So now I will have to do at least one more rewatch to to seek him out. In that's the, really interesting. In the beginning, you'll see him as uh, during Blow Me Down. I think he like rises up behind some barrels, and then later he's like uh -huh. he like is in the background at uh, the engagement party um, inside the oil house. It definitely, he has no lines, oh, but cool. he's just like a weird guy with a big beard and, and long hair. That's really clever. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I missed that. Dave, um, does this like put, um, Altman in director jail for a while? Like how, how long does he, how long is he sent away for? Yeah. I well, the, the comp, the combination of this and then like his other like early eighties, you know, like OC and Stiggs and mm -hmm. like a lot of misfires, you know, attempts, I think on his part to like, to be more, at least in his mind, kind of, you know, commercial right. or, you know, find, find a, a kind of way to, you know, reach a slightly wider audience that, that none, I mean, nothing, you know, totally coalesces for him for like a long, a long period of time. Not that, like, I mean, he keeps plugging away, but it, you know, he, yeah. he's definitely in a kind of, um, 
you know, like post studio auteur uh, period. Yeah. I, I mean, I know even, you know, getting financing for stuff like the player, you know, years later. Yeah. It was a, I mean, it was a miracle. Yeah. That they, that they achieved that because he really was just like, you know, perceived as, as, you know, just whether people liked him artistically or not, just like poisonously uncommercial. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, Dave, what do you have to plug? Nothing at the moment. Uh, I'm, you know, I got I got things that I'm very happily uh, working on, but that will not see the light of day uh, for a little while. Okay. Which is no, it's 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 a it's an unusual place to be, but kind of cool. I like it. I I I, uh, I I don't usually find myself in this mode, so I'm uh, I'm, I'm trying to savor it. That's awesome. amazing. Well, as always, uh, Dave's um, uh, his Twitter feed is one of the greatest of all time. It's the uh, last good thing on Twitter. Thanks. Yes, and you're on Blue Sky as well now. Uh, yes, I am. I mean, it's it's it, it might look like it's not doing anything, but I do have an account. There. Okay, all right, good. Well, so folks should definitely check that out. Jason, how about you? What do you have to plug, buddy? This new Jedi game is good. This new Star Wars oh, Jedi whoa. Survivor game. It's pretty compelling. I am into it, and Griffin likes watching me play it. So that's yeah, I was going to ask. That's a real match made in heaven. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a win-win. Yeah, exactly. He's like, let's play this game. By which you mean I play the game, and you watch. It's great. That's it awesome. really works out well for me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Just what just what Griffin needs is more lightsaber cutting. <laughs> yeah, he does. he's it's he's so obsessed. Well, I have some bad news is that for the May the 5th sale, I ordered a bunch more lightsabers. So there's going to be more lightsabers around the house. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Dave for an amazing conversation. Next week, we're joined by Jason's college debate colleague, Stephen Yuhan, to tackle an early 90s Coen Brothers classic featuring Silo's Tim Robbins, Hudsucker Proxy. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us, because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a Tape Deck Podcast John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. Hold on one second. My dog is whining, so I'm going to go put her out. One sec. Trudy. Oh, my gosh. Dave, I forget. Where are you at? Uh, I, I'm in my apartment on, uh, like, it's like by Columbia University. We're, like, up by oh, uh, cool. 125th Street in Manhattan. Yeah, that's awesome. My high school, my college girlfriend was at Columbia, and so I spent a, a fair amount of time. Oh, okay. So you know the hood. Yeah. Yeah, going up there from New Jersey, because it was oh, not a very compelling argument that she should come to New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs>